Hi, and welcome to Tales from the Trail. In this episode, Justin Chesham of Christopher Newport University Men's Soccer and I welcome Brendan Lawler, the women's coach at Manhattan College, and Mike Eckberg, the women's coach at State University of New York, New Paltz. This is a fantastic conversation with three college coaches who have all been at it a long time. I'm certain that you'll find the discussion informative and beneficial. Please continue to subscribe and share the podcast, as well as send me questions and comments through matchplayrecruit.com. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Brett and Mike, I had a girl. Uh, she was in ninth grade. I was coaching her club team. She was an awesome player. I mean, one of the best kids to come out of the area. And um, you know, I'm just a, a Division three men's coach, and I'm used to our timeline. I'm an assistant coach at the time. And I get a call while this girl's in ninth grade, and, I mean, I, I think it was October, November, and it was from the Division one, a Power 5 school giving me a buzz uh, about this girl, and they want to know about her, and they're talking to me about her. And, uh, I mean, I was – I knew the timeline was earlier for girls, but I was really taken aback. I mean, the reality is, I mean, it may be five to six years before they even think about using her, but they are super interested. They want to jump on her. And I, I was asking the coach about it, and the coach is kind of like, well, she's one of the best in the country. It's either I get her or I'm going to lose her to a Yukon or a UNC, like a big dog. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess that makes sense. And so – uh, you know, I just, I found that super interesting. Um, I know the timeline for girls is so much earlier, but this girl's in her first semester of high school years before she even puts on a uniform for college. And I just was kind of like completely shocked that it, that it happens like that. But, you know, I get it's the nature of the business. So I don't know if you guys might be able to kind of chat on that and maybe help us explain why the women's side is so much quicker than the men's side and specifically division one versus division three, too. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, Mike probably has, um, you know, some, some interesting stories coming because Mike's been across uh, different Division ones and, and Division threes and, and, and higher levels than, than I'm at in at Manhattan. Um, so I'll be interested to hear what his takes are. But, I mean, so my, my thoughts are, you know, there, there's kind of general, like, why is the women's game faster? Um, there's more programs and there's more money, right? So that's two things. I don't know if those are automatically the first two things, but there's, what, 150-ish more programs, Division One programs, and on the men's side, mm-hmm. um, rosters are generally larger to balance out Title IX numbers, especially if you're a football school, right? You've got 100 to 120 participating males. You need to balance that out in female uh, participation. So rosters become larger, and, you know, men get 9, 9.9 scholarships and, and women get 14. So all of those things tend to more spots in general, more money to put around. Um, that, that leads into it. Um, girls hit puberty faster, right? So they hit, you know, their, their peak, uh, you know, physicality earlier, um, where, where the boys are certainly much later in the process where it's hard to, you know, you can look at a 13 or 14 year old boy and, you know, he can look like a 10 year old boy, right? But there's a whole lot more 14, 15 year old girls who look like 20 year old women. So that's, that's part of it. You get a sense of where they are already. Um, and then... I mean, there is a sense of keeping up with the Joneses. If one, if you're on a great team, you're on a very strong team, and people are committing early, or they're already talking to coaches. It, there's the fear of, you know, it's a big financial move. It's a big, it's a big. You know, if I don't go now, maybe I won't get any money, and nobody else will like me. I better make a, I make a, better make a decision right now. But, um, so I, I think, I think all of that, uh, you know, comes comes into it. And they're super eager. 
I mean, if they're very good and they're getting recruited by, by Power 5 schools and the Power 5 schools are kind of, maybe we'll get into this a little bit, maybe like going around some rules or something along those lines to, to reach out and, and talk to them, then, you know, you feel wanted. Who doesn't want to feel wanted? And who doesn't want to feel wanted by, by big time, uh, by, the, you know, by the highest level as well? So um, I, I think all of that, that plays into it. I'd add in, you know, Brendan made some great points. A couple, a couple areas that, you know, besides keeping up with the own, I do think that there's a stance now that was not the place seven years ago. Transfer portal has privatized the ability, um, based on and and that was um, prior to having portal because if someone were to transfer where they were go, and so I think that might um, be a little bit of a scapegoat for players and or clubs that kind of not that I've heard them, might certainly say if it doesn't work out you can just go in the portal and so I think that's where we deal with that plus we deal with a generation that we're all trying to the lack of uh, instant gratification that our players, student-athletes, club players want. And so when that does happen with one player on the club team, obviously that really, I think, sends a shockwave that, um, you know, for, for Coach Brandon and I, on the club side, we very much had our end that every player has their own path, it's their own journey. Um, much say that it's really tough to, tough to stomach. And so I think that one to commit a um, false sense of security that they're not in the right place because not when you know every program has different needs at different times. Yeah, um, geez, let me just kind of reset it so we can introduce Brendan and Mike real quick. Um, sure. So we have uh, Brendan Lawler, who is the uh, head coach at Manhattan College, head women's coach um, at Manhattan College. Um, been there quite a while now at this point. Um, so I'm sure the time, tenure there, uh, I guess I shouldn't use the word tenure in the college environment. Time, you know, I don't know how that works for athletics, but uh, uh, brings a unique perspective being at a program for so long. And then I also, we also welcome uh, Mike Eckberg, who is the head women's coach at State University of New York, New Paltz. Is that the way you say New Paltz? Okay. Um, new and you got you, you, New Paltz? Like, like Paltz. Oh, New Paltz. Gotcha. <laughs> um, uh, so you guys are obviously Manhattan colleges. Is it actually in Manhattan or is it? Just outside of Manhattan. Um, careful! I don't know how many people are interested in a history lesson, but it, it, it started in Manhattan. <laughs> um, 1853 was founded on the island of Manhattan, and uh, uh, I'm going to get this date wrong. Somewhere in the early 1900s, before 1920, I think it moved up to. Uh, we basically just moved a few miles north, but across a tiny bit of the river, and now it's in, it's actually the um, most northern part of the Bronx, where uh, it's, like about a, it's about a mile from Manhattan now. But they just wanted to expand back then, so. That's the history of Manhattan and Bronx. <laughs> cool. Uh, and then New Pulse is just just up the road a bit. Um, how far north is it? I, I looked at it on a map, but uh, how far are you outside the city? 
Uh, about an hour and a half, you know, give or take, depending okay. on how far you got it, how much traffic you get. But just off the throughway, right between Albany. Beautiful town. Beautiful small little town up there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you guys, uh, so I know that Cheese here, um, Justin Chesham, we call him Cheese um, for, you know, his last name. Uh, but anyway, um, I know that he works pretty closely with um, William & Mary, like when they're recruiting kids, they, they end up recruiting a lot, a lot of the same events and that sort of thing. Are you guys kind of have that same relationship where you're at the same events and cross paths a lot and talk about kids a lot? So I mean, Mike and I coach in the same club together. Um, so, so uh, you know, that's so just in terms of our teams being at a lot of those events, then yeah, we're, we're, we're at the same, but we, I think we would be anyway. Um, you know, yeah. we're, we're, I think we're both uh, generally recruiting. I mean, Mike's, Mike will tell you, but, you know, uh, recruiting out of the state of New York for state school reasons. Um, but yeah, in in the region, we're we're, we're mostly. I mean, I, I'll tell everybody. I don't care where you're from. Um, you know, we've got a player on a team right now from Okinawa. Um, dad happened to be from Connecticut. Um, you know, so that works itself out. If you can play and you're interested, then then I'm interested. But yeah, mostly it's with you. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Cheese. Is that a is that an American from Okinawa, like a military kid? Um, so I would have figured that also, but no, I mean, so she's, I mean, so she is American. She has an American passport. Um, she's got a Japanese passport also though. Um, her father, uh, from Connecticut, um, went over there to teach. And oh. if I get the story right, he met his wife and stayed there. And, um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, Raina, Raina came over here and played. She had two older brothers who went and played at Holy Cross and Valpo. Um, so all three have, uh, have come over here and played. Some pedigree she, she, she doesn't count as an international on our roster. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah, she, she lived in Okinawa her entire life. Wow. Yeah, I spent, Very I spent cool. three years there. My dad was a Marine. I spent three years in Okinawa as a little kid. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, a, it's cool. It's neat out there. Whole different it's world. It's beautiful. Of it's like paradise. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, jump back into kind of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, you, you'd mentioned a few things and I, I just want to confirm that you think that this is, is specifically on the division one, but. I guess the Division Three women's side. Do you think that all of the women's timelines are pretty similar across sports, or is it uh, more pronounced in soccer? I mean, what are your thoughts there? I think there is. So, be- before our rule changed and, and we created that um, uh, the dead period in the middle of uh, December to January, or uh, Dece- yeah, December to January, and not being able to, you're not really supposed to contact anybody, you know, club or or, or player until. June 15, right, after their sophomore year. Um, so that helped slow it down a little bit. Um, COVID slowed it down um, just because no one was playing and we couldn't get out there, right? Um, and I, I think, you know, I, I personally slowed down. Um, I think there is still a ton of development physically, mentally, you know, maturation-wise that goes on between sophomore year like our, our current our group that's about to be seniors, a uh, good number of them committed at the end of their sophomore year before the rule change, and um, you know they're they're still here, but two of them transferred. Um, just to, you know they they two of them left to go be nurses, and we just didn't have a nursing program. They knew that, but they changed their mind. They wanted to, they wanted to be a nurse, so right. you know, that that changed over that time period. So even just like non soccer things can can greatly change. Um, you know, changing majors is you know about as common as can be so that that can be that way also but i think some of us smaller schools uh you know you know the the mid-majors and and a little bit below have have slowed down a little bit um i think maybe 
um, the the portal has allowed us to do that a little bit too. Because if there's like this like reshuffling of maybe I shouldn't have gone to a power five, I should have went to like the CAA, um, you know, and then maybe the people in the CAA should have come down to like the Patriot or the MAC or the NEC, and maybe people who are twenty to twenty five to thirty in the MAC, you know, should have should have went to a different level, and that kind of reshuffles. And now, I mean, especially as somebody like myself who's who's got a limited scholarship budget, we're not fully funded. I'd rather look at somebody's stats after freshman year and say, you know, this person played in 10 games as a freshman at a um, conference level that's higher than ours. I'd much rather invest in that person than in, you know, a 16 year old. It's just more, it's just more certain. Right. Um, so I think that that's, that's allowed it to happen as, as well. And the way the, the numbers in the portal, you certainly know that people are going to be, people are going to be moving where in the past you'd have to just sit around and wait unless you knew somebody now, now it's it's a rich free agency, right? You know, it's the market, and and you can go out there and and the way we all share film, it's not even just stats, right? I can go get film of them against college level players instead of gets their, you know, midweek high school game, which is sometimes what you get. Yeah, I think that you said something. You know, you talked about how the most common reason that girls might change their mind or transfer would be because of majors and. I mean, going back to that girl that I was talking about when she was in ninth grade, I mean, I, I, I you know, that was the only year I coached her, but I, I kept a relationship with her until she left. And I mean, she was a completely different kid just two years later. Right. And I mean, these kids that I recruit as juniors, I mean, they're, they're completely different kids just six months later going into their senior year. And uh, I, I always have a joke with my players that during their exit meeting their sophomore year, I always ask them, you know, you know, how do you think you are today versus how you are when you checked in and they're laughing? I mean, these kids, they change so much. And, uh, you know, how does that affect the recruiting process when you know, like, okay, I'm getting this kid. She's 15, 16 or whatever, and she's about to have a car. Her social life's going to change a little bit. She's going into her junior, senior year of college. And, I mean, interests change dramatically at that age. And, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, they, they like you. They want to play soccer in college. They like your school. But all of a sudden, I've got these other 10 things on my mind. And, uh, you know, not next thing you know, you've lost three or four of your recruits going into a certain class. And I mean, how do you handle that? Or how do you try to combat that? I mean, what, what's the what's the process there to keep a kid committed for that time, especially one that hasn't signed a, a sheet of paper that's getting her some money? Um, so <laughs> it can be tricky. Some of it is, is, is starting the starting the culture and keeping the communication open. Right. So it's, you know, trying to get them. I like players to meet our recruits to meet our players. Right. And, and to, you know, follow each other on Instagram and, you know, get each other's cell phones. So they're, so they're no longer committed coaching, you know, talking to me, you know, because we'll talk to, you know, the mid 40 year old man versus their, you know, their, their future teammates. Like, um, let's get them doing that. So they feel connected kind of early. Um, I think, I think that's important. Um, but, you know, I joke all the time based on what you just said there, right? Like, how random is all of this? Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to, who's going to get hurt? Who's going to fall out of love with the game? Who's going to hit a gross, gross spurt and, and take off? And, you know, cause it's not like development's not linear, right? right, right. <laughs> you know, it, it goes up and down or it stays low and then it hops up. So, I mean, my, my wife gets mad at me every year. What do you think of the freshman? Who's going to be up? I said, we'll see. She goes, I know you're going to say, we'll see, but can you just tell me? I'm like, I, we'll see. We'll see how they get when they get in here, when they're away from home and they're playing against 22-year-old women who are about yep. to join the real world that are looking for real jobs and they're not six months away from the senior prom, right? Like, mm. that's different. 
We'll see. Um, you know, you're hopeful. And before we got on here, we were, we were watching their, their our, our incoming freshman's highlight films. Um, you know, just to like, while they're here in a week, let's remind ourselves what, what they look like. And, and um, you know, we're excited, but what we, we still have, we still have to see. Yeah, for Ross, it's in your new Paul. It's, it's a little bit of a sweet spot because we, from a recruiting, looking at some of the younger players, but I think recruiting campus, obviously, we we do have one there where we unofficial or official, so, you know, going into the midway through of their junior year. So um, I do think that we're talking to. Nor is there, uh, I've only dealt with it once in my seven new polls that I've actually So the time is not long as well. So uh, obviously, brother, at at the polls or else, but that is one kind of we're we're dealing with um so uh let's gonna jump into something else like uh you guys are getting ready to start your new seasons and so um what do you guys tell your existing players like What's their program like over the summer? What do you encourage them to do? And then <clears throat> incoming players, what is, what's expected of them? How are they expected to show up the first day? Um, and that sort of thing. Like, um, just, you know, as a recruit is listening to this, what can they expect, you know, as a standard for them to uphold as they come in to become a college player? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of players... Uh don't necessarily know what they're getting into. Um, and that's that, that line is something I use a lot at, at the club or anybody that I'm talking to, like literally just put it, do you, do you know what you're getting into? Do you know what, like, do you just think it would be cool or are you aware of the competition level, the physical demands, um, you know, what this becomes all about? Because this is generally much more so about winning and getting a team ready to win, right? Because our players are about to come in on Monday and we've got nine practices before our first game. Right or whatever it is, ten or eleven before our first game. That's that's not all that much time to get people on the same page tactically and with the principles you want to you want to put in. It's very very difficult. Um, so what do we expect of them? Uh, for me, they have to come in fit. Right? They probably heard that a million times. We certainly don't have enough time in, in preseason to get them fit. They have to come in. Uh, we give uh, everybody a a copy of uh, you know the yo-yo test that we're running, the yo-yo intermittent recovery test. Uh, you know, every every school probably run some sort of different version of whatever their fitness test is going to be. I'm very clear of this is the standard you have to reach. We're going to, it's the first thing we're going to do on the field. If you pass it, we're going to go play soccer. And if you don't, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at how close you are, but you can't, you're not playing until you're certainly not playing in games until you pass it. Um, and when we start doing tactical, bigger picture type things, I'm not going to give you reps because you're not in the rotation right now because you're not fitness eligible to play. Um, so we give them a, a, a summer a summer fitness packet. Um, you know, it, it technically has every day of the summer laid out, but it's really more of a guide than it is like you must do this because, you know, if they're working, they're doing an internship and they're playing a summer league, which, again, we encourage them to do if they're playing 
um, you know, they have to, um, you know, adjust that, right? So if, if, if they're going on vacation for, for the weekend and, you know, that fits in their, their off days, great. But if not, then maybe their off days are Tuesday and Thursday. But anyway, so, I mean, I'm getting a little bit too much into the weeds there. But um, for me, they have to come in. They don't have to come in like peak fitness, and that's not what our standard is, but it's fitness that's going to allow us to, to compete right away. Um, and, and like I said, I, I'm not a guy who's huge on strength. Um, my, my strength stuff is about them remaining, uh, remaining healthy. Um, you know, so they're strong enough to be fit. I've, I've, I joke, I've never looked down the bench and, and decided who to put in based on what their squat numbers were or their bench press numbers were. Like, you know, I've seen people with big squat numbers try and shield the ball standing straight up on one leg and anybody can push them around. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I want to get in, into playing, but we still have to be fit enough, fit enough to do the job. So, um, and it's again, it's tricky for incoming freshmen too, right? Like depending on where they are in the in, in the geographically in the country, they might be in their high school season up until June. Um, they might their high school season might end in November. Another with their club team, but depending on the level of their club team, they haven't been doing much in May and June, and you know, so it, it's very kind of tricky. But my advice to any of them is play. Make sure you're playing, um, because. You know, we're not a team of cross-country runners as much as we talk about fitness. Like, you still got to be able to play. Um, so to find that balance of soccer-specific fitness is is uh, is difficult um, because yeah. there's nothing that prepares you. I always say it's like it's like telling a kid that you, you know not to touch a hot stove. Whoop! Sorry, not moving yeah. around enough in here. Hope <laughs> that doesn't ruin the podcast for you. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, like you can tell a little kid not to touch that because you're going to get burnt, but they don't know until they do it, right? You can only tell somebody how fast and how physical and all this kind of stuff is, but until they step on the field and that 22-year-old, right. 50-year freshman or senior hits them un unapologetically, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it, it wakes you up pretty quick. I'll tell you, uh, I, I always try to – I talk to our spring sport guys all the time, and yeah, it's so lucky in the spring. Oh, my God, it's such a <laughs> blessing to get your yep. kids in – and be able to put them in the weight room. They're eating college diets. They're going to be able to play, you know, lacrosse or, you know, softball, whatever the sport is in the spring. They're able to play with college-age kids in, in environments that, you know, hey, we don't have a game tonight or it's just a scrimmage. But they get six months of being a college athlete, being a college student, learning the ins and outs uh, before you actually ask them to help you win a game. But you just said it yourself. My guys are going to check in, and I'm going to ask them to help me win a game that – could make or break me making the NCAA tournament before they even take a test before yeah. there's some of them before they even have like a quiz or something, some big assignment. I mean, a lot of these kids, it we're, we're playing on September 1st, they checked in a week earlier and I mean, they're still learning teachers names and how to get to class and stuff. And I said, Hey, you know, I, I need you to help me win this game. I know you've been a, a college student for six days and you've been a soccer player for 12, but we need to win this game. It's, it's really a tough ask. And, you said the best thing. You want them to be as fit as they've ever been and then keep going. You want them, hey, by like mid-July, get as fit as you've ever been and then now try to push through that to get a little bit more fit just so you can see it and arrive and not have to worry about that part of it. We recruit good soccer players. We know you're going to be able to play soccer at our place. Just don't put yourself in a situation where you're now behind. You're not fit, so you're, you know, some schools are having these fitness tests that make you – pass the test before you can train or before you get a jersey and you don't want to miss three or four practices because you can't pass the fitness test or you don't want to barely get through it find yourself really pushing because you're just not fit enough 
and then you're going to push, 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 hurt yourself, miss two weeks, season's going to begin, and I'll tell you what, I get three or four games in, and if, especially if we won those games, yeah, you're now behind everybody, and you're climbing a mountain that you that you're just not going to get out of. You rarely see a kid that's a freshman struggle mightily early on and then help you big time at the end. It's just such a it's such a tall order. And then now you're now you're dealing with a kid who's there who's very unhappy. Might even be their fault, probably, but now you got a whole different can of worms. And so it's it's a tall ask. And when we were in COVID, we, we had that that big gap where we didn't play. We kind of got a taste of that. Yes. Yeah, like, oh did. man, my kids got to work out, got to be college students, even though it was a COVID version of it. They weren't thrown into the fire immediately. And those kids, once we finally were able to start training and start practicing for actual games, they were they were not freshmen anymore. They were, you know, they were sophomores. They'd already had six, eight months together and it was it was a whole different type of kid. There's such different kids six months after you get them. It's really an amazing thing. I, I wish we could have some time with these kids before they start playing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tales from the Trail. We're grateful that you've taken the time to listen. Please continue to subscribe and share the podcast, as well as send me questions and comments through matchplayrecruit.com. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. See you on the trail.